there, everyone. It is Nurse Mo, and welcome back to the Straight A Nursing Podcast. This is episode 55, and today we are talking about hyperkalemia. Now, if you've been listening to my podcast for a while, you are probably thinking, but wait, we did a whole series on electrolytes a while back. Yes, we did. But I wanted to touch on hyperkalemia in a little more detail because it honestly is one of the potassium imba- or the electrolyte imbalances rather that you will be following the most closely in your clinicals. And when you're working as a nurse, if you're working especially in the acute care setting. So just to review, a typical normal potassium level is 3.5 to 5.0 millimoles per liter. Now, again, some institutions, facilities, schools might say that their reference range is a little bit different, but it's not going to be vastly different. So going by the general range of 3.5 to 5 is typically going to serve you well. So in this podcast, we're going to talk about what hyperkalemia is, why we care, what causes it, and as always, what we as awesome nurses and nursing students are going to do about it. So hyperkalemia is defined as any potassium level above that normal range. So technically, it's any level above that 5.0 or whatever your institution, hospital, school says is the normal range. Optimally, we like to keep potassium in the facility that I work up to about 3.9 to 4.0. If we can keep the levels right around there, we are feeling pretty solid about our patient's potassium levels. Now, when you get into higher levels of hyperkalemia, it can be considered kind of a mild case of hyperkalemia, like at 5.5, 5.8, and then you get into the more danger zone levels of hyperkalemia, where you really start to see the ECG changes and problems with your patient. And so you're looking at levels up around 8, 9, or where you're really going to panic Though technically, I would start to get pretty nervous around six. I would be pretty darn nervous around seven. And eight and nine, I would be a stress ball. I'm going to be honest with you. So that's what a hyperkalemia level is. Anything above that, five. And now let's talk about why we care. What's the big deal with potassium being too high in the patient's blood? The main reason we care about potassium in our patients is because of its effect on cardiac electrophysiology. Now, you don't have to be a cardiac electrophysiologist here, and we're not going to go into the massive amounts of detail with all the sodium channels and pumps and this and that and action potentials because you reviewed all of that in your anatomy and physiology class to the level that you need to know it to be a good nurse, right? So I'm just going to remind you that potassium plays a very important role in cardiac electrophysiology, and that is why we care. Yes, it does play a role in the action potential of other types of muscle, but nothing's going to kill the patient faster than a cardiac event. So that's why we care so much about the potassium level being too high and also too low, but that's a whole other podcast. So as you remember, most potassium in the body is 
inside the cell. And how I remembered this was I'm a very visual person. So when I was first learning about all the different um, electrolytes and where they lived inside the cell, outside the cell, I drew a picture of a cell and I drew a bunch of bananas in it because bananas are high in potassium. (laughs) And that is how I always remembered that potassium mostly lives inside the cell. And then we can get problems with that serum potassium, that hyperkalemia for a few different reasons. Okay, first of all, yes, it could be because of too much intake, but typically that by itself does not cause problematic hyperkalemia because your body can adjust. So let's say you're one of those raw vegans. Hi to any raw vegans out there who follow the diet where you eat a million bananas every day. I honestly think there is one gal who eats 30 bananas a day. And that's, I think that's the title of her website. Anyway, these people are eating a lot of potassium. Now, guess what? If their kidneys are healthy, which we'll get to in a minute, their bodies can adjust their potassium levels. So in and of itself, excess intake of potassium doesn't typically cause acute hyperkalemia. You could also have hyperkalemia because you're not getting enough potassium out. And this is the main reason that we see it happening because the kidneys are not functioning properly and they're not able to excrete potassium effectively. There is some potassium excretion in waste. Most of it is, however, through the kidneys and the urine. So let's say you've got a patient who has kidney problems and they decide they wanna become a raw vegan and have 30 bananas a day. Maybe that patient is going to get hyperkalemia. And then you also can have potassium shifts in the body. And these can occur for a variety of reasons. And some of them are very complicated. But the main things that you want to think about is acidotic states, insulin deficiency, because insulin kind of activates that sodium potassium pump to move the potassium into the cell. And then also with cell lysis, when cells break apart, when cells die, when they open up, guess what's inside the cell? All those bananas, right? So all that potassium leaks out into the serum. So you'll see that with tumor lysis syndrome, crush injuries, bad traumatic burns, rhabdomyolysis, ischemic injury, Anything like that, you could have a potential for that cell, those cells basically dying, breaking open, lysing, and releasing their stored potassium into the bloodstream. So to review, some causes for hyperkalemia could be you took too much in, you didn't pee enough of it out, or you had shifts in the potassium between inside the cell and outside the cell. The type of patient that you really want to watch for hyperkalemia in is, again, that renal failure patient. They are not excreting enough potassium. So a lot of times the indication of whether or not to even do dialysis is based on what the patient's potassium and other electrolytes are doing. Now, if your patient comes in with acute renal failure 
and you're talking to them about the medications that they take and they take a potassium sparing diuretic like spironolactone or maybe they take an ACE inhibitor or an angiotensin receptor blocker. Both of those can cause the body to hold on to potassium and then if they're on a potassium sparing diuretic with those or even by itself, potassium sparing diuretics hold on to potassium while the body is diuresing, whereas other diuretics, the more common ones like Lasix are not potassium sparing, they're potassium wasting diuretics. And so patients on Lasix will pee out their potassium. But if your patient says, oh yeah, I'm on spironolactone, then you want to be concerned that their body's actually hanging on to too much potassium potentially. And if they have a little renal insufficiency on top of that, you've got a combination for potentially acutely high hyperkalemia. So you definitely want to be watching electrolytes for patients taking those drugs, whether they are in acute renal insufficiency or not. So let's say that you got a patient that comes in, maybe they're in some renal failure and you're watching their potassium levels very closely. Because potassium has such a drastic and important effect on cardiac electrophysiology, you will see changes in the ECG. So typically the first thing that you'll be able to notice looking at the ECG tracing are peaked T waves, tall peaked T waves. And if you guys haven't taken your electrophysiology component yet, don't worry about it. You'll remember this later. And for those of you that have, you know what I'm talking about when I talk about the T wave. So they're gonna be tall, sometimes almost as tall as the QRS, okay? So it's gonna look weird. Bottom line, your ECG tracing is going to look weird. This is indicative of there being problems with the repolarization mechanism. So when you see the T waves tall and peaked, they may also, may also start to flatten out a little bit as the Q, as the potassium gets higher. You know I've got repolarization issues happening right now. You're also going to see issues with conduction delays. So that's that PR interval. So you'll see that PR interval possibly getting a bit wider, which looks on the ECG like a first degree heart block, right? So you're going to be watching for that as the potassium levels increase. And then what you'll see is that QRS will start to widen out and it'll get wider and flatter. And then what you're looking at here is essentially the atria not really working and you're going into more like junctional or ventricular rhythms. This is very bad. You hopefully do not get to that point. So just to recap, for those of you who are hip to cardiac electrophysiology at this point in your nursing school careers, the first thing you'll likely see are those tall peaked T waves. They may then start to widen out a little bit. Your PR interval is going to get um, increasing, showing conduction delays, and the QRS will widen and you'll end up looking like you're in more of a junctional ventricular rhythm. And as that QRS widens and widens and widens and widens, guess what it widens out into? Asystole. So those are in very short form the ECG changes that you'll likely see as your patient's potassium rises. So you're an awesome nurse, you're an awesome nursing student, 
what are you going to do about it, right? Every problem that you see as a nurse or a student has a solution. And in most cases, you are the conduit between problem and solution, whether you're doing something about it yourself or whether you're learning the right person who can do something about it, such as your physician colleagues. So what are you going to do about an elevated potassium level? Even when you first suspect that your patient could have hyperkalemia, I want you to get that patient on the monitor. You need to be able to see what their heart is doing in real time. So get the patient on the monitor straight away, and you want to let your physician colleague know that your patient's potassium level is elevated. Also, any pertinent past medical history, they have renal insufficiency, they are a dialysis patient, they are a little old lady who started being a raw vegan three weeks ago and also takes spironolactone. You know what I'm saying? So you want to let the physician know what's going on with your patient. And you can expect some kind of medical intervention that you will be administering. So for the most part, what happens with patients who need dialysis is they get dialysis, right? So that is the end-all, be-all treatment for hyperkalemia. Now, if the hyperkalemia can be treated in the interim, maybe you got to do something while you're waiting for dialysis to get set up. The doctor may order what's called a hyperkalemia cocktail. And if you hear the word cocktail in your medical career, in your nursing career, it's not, we're not talking about margaritas, though that sounds great a lot of the time. We're talking about a combo of drugs that are often used together to produce a desired effect. So the hyperkalemia cocktail kind of varies institution by institution, but what you are likely to see ordered by the physician is some calcium. Okay, so calcium is basically it's protective of that cardiac electrophysiology and it kind of keeps the potassium from doing those detrimental things to it. Now, the calcium does not cause the potassium level to come down. It's just what we say is cardioprotective, okay? So in cases of digoxin toxicity, you want to be aware that they're probably not going to use calcium because that would be bad. They might use magnesium instead. But for the most part, your patient's going to get some calcium to be cardioprotective. Then you're looking at a combo of drugs. So that is insulin plus dextrose. So remember we talked about how insulin works on that stimulating that sodium potassium pump to exchange sodium and potassium in the cell. So you give some insulin, it's going to activate that pump so that the potassium can go in. But guess what? You don't just go around giving people insulin. Okay, that would be deadly and you would be a serial killer. No, we're going to also give some dextrose with that. So we give the insulin and the dextrose to prevent the hypoglycemia. The patient may also get some albuterol. Albuterol also can effectively shift that potassium into the cell. Your patient may get K-exalate, which binds up potassium. Remember I said earlier, most of the potassium is excreted through the kidneys and the urine, and some is excreted through the, um, the GI tract waste. Well, if we give K-exalate, we can bind up some of that potassium in the GI tract, and your patient can then poop it out. So that's 
not going to work super fast, but it does work and it's really messy, but it can work really well. And then another thing is that your patient could, if their kidneys are okay, maybe there's another reason why their potassium level is high. If they take a potassium wasting diuretic like furosemide and their blood pressure and their fluid volume status can handle it, the physician may want them to have that and then they'll pee out some extra potassium. So that's what we talk about or what we're talking about when we mention the hyperkalemia cocktail. So if somebody says they came up with the K level of 8.2, I gave them the cocktail and now it's 7.1, you'll know what they're talking about. They did not give them a bunch of margaritas. And then again, the end-all be-all treatment for hyperkalemia is dialysis. So from this short sweep hyperkalemia episode, the takeaway I want you to get is I want you to have a high degree of suspicion for hyperkalemia in your patients who have renal failure, who have renal failure in the presence of taking some, excuse me, some of those drugs like the spironolactone or the ACE inhibitors. Even if your patient's not in renal failure and maybe they just started taking an ACE inhibitor and their body's adjusting. Just having that high degree of suspicion about who could be having hyperkalemia can help you stave off problems before they get really bad. And I also want you to put all of these patients on a monitor. They need to be continuously monitored as you are treating them. And if you have to intubate a patient who is hyperkalemic, Let's say they start to go downhill. Maybe they're a renal failure patient and they are so fluid overloaded and the dialysis nurse is stuck in a snowstorm on the East Coast and won't be there for hours. And so you've got to do something about it. And your patient has now so fluid overloaded that they can't breathe and they need to be intubated. I don't know if this scenario would ever happen. I'm just throwing it out there. Do not give succinylcholine with hyperkalemia or even a potassium that's borderline high because it can cause a transient hyperkalemia. And if that happens and it kind of pushes your patient over the edge while you're intubating your patient, now you're coding a patient with hyperkalemia. So this little tidbit there for you. Succinylcholine causes a transient hyperkalemia. So anyway, you guys are going to take great care of your patients with renal insufficiency. You're going to take great care of your patients who come in with mild or even acute hyperkalemia. And now is the time in the podcast where I tell you what's going on over here at Straight A Nursing, what's going on with me. So graduate school picked up again this end of January. And I'm taking three classes because I'm a crazy person and working full time and doing the podcast and doing the website and doing the nursing student planners. And wow. So when I talk about it, it sounds really intense, right? So I'm really going to try to stay on top of the podcast and the website as much as I can. I do love hearing from you guys. So when I am exhausted and depleted from working so much, it really helps to get a nice email from you. Totally love that. So that's what's going on over here. I'm taking advanced pharmacology. I'm taking advanced pathophysiology. I expect to be super smart after these classes. And then I'm taking a theory class on 
how to teach nursing students, basically. So maybe I'll get really good at all this teaching stuff after this semester. So I'm very excited about all the things I'm going to learn. I'm also very panicked about how busy I'm going to be. And I really don't know if I'm going to get to go up to the mountains and go skiing, if at all. So that kind of makes me sad. For those of you who have been emailing me and Instagramming me and Facebooking me that you and Etsy shop messaging me that you missed getting the printed planner and asking when we are restocking. So we only do the printed planners in one print run per launch because it takes so long to create them that by the time we got them created, you'd be well into 2019 and you'd be like, why am I going to buy this planner? It's already March. So we try to anticipate how many people we will have demand from for the planners and then we always sell out. So we're always increasing our supply, which is great. After we sell out of the printed ones, we do have it available for now as a digital file so that you can print it yourself. Or I also send instructions for an online printer that does a pretty darn good job for a very good price. So you could have it printed and coil bound by them. But the next version is for the July to June. So it's more like the academic year. And that launches in pre-sales launch in March. So watch for pre-sales events coming up in March. And then they'll be shipped in April when we get them back from the printer. So if you want to be hip to the pre-sales and the launches, then go to straightanursingstudent.com. There are multiple places on that website to sign up for the email list. There's a bar across the top. I think there's a cute pop-up that you can totally ignore if you're not into pop-ups. And then there's always on the right sidebar, I am revamping the website. So in a few months, none of this may be accurate, but I will have plenty of places for you to sign up for email updates if that's what you desire. So get out there. I know you guys, if you're watching or listening to this podcast as it's released, you're probably in the throes of the beginning part of your semester. I hope you're doing well. If dosage calculations are giving you problems, I invite you to check out my dosage calculations course. And I will link to that, or you can just go to straightynursingstudent.com and the tab for boot camp has it listed. So that is all I have for you guys today. Thank you so much for spending your valuable time with me. I very much appreciate it. I miss talking to you every week. Hopefully I can get back to that if I'm extremely disciplined and somewhat sleep deprived. Have a great day. Study hard and be safe out there. This podcast is brought to you by StraightAnursingStudent.com. Copyright Mo Media.